This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of May 23rd. And how are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing fine now. I'm on I'm on summer break. We had graduation Ooh. on Tuesday. Last day with students was Wednesday. And uh, packed up my room on Thursday. And got about six emails on Friday for people, I guess, still expecting me to be doing work. Which hmm. was a bit off-putting. There was some, like, district stuff. Hmm. Like, hey can you guys check on this like can you can you follow up with this other teacher i'm like none of us are in the building man i like <laughs> my answer is i can send them an email but if this email that they are also cc'd on doesn't do anything i'm not sure me emailing them is going to do anything either <laughs> because <laughs> yep. we're all gone and they're probably on a plane somewhere yep and well deserved yeah and that's yeah. uh and that's fine and yeah. now we do summer so mm-hmm. so that's me how are you very nice uh i'm all right not anywhere near summer yet here for us mm-hmm. but we are having a nice memorial day weekend and i think i have mentioned a have. an issue with a splinter a number of times on the podcast that finally resolved today on day 28 and it was gross <laughs> We'll, we'll leave, but we're glad it's over. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been, it's been a whole thing, but I, I am overjoyed <laughs> to be at the end of that whole saga and, uh, have some, have some fun stuff planned for Memorial Day weekend. So I think it'll be a nice weekend. Yeah. Pretty nice. Yeah. But anyway, uh, let's, let's talk about Jeopardy. Um, cause we had some games this week. Uh, so on Monday, we had Jody Harris, a content strategist from Culver City, California, Mari Chow, a writing center coordinator from Orlando, Florida, and Ryan Long, a rideshare driver from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who at this point has won six games and $131,801. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the rainforests. What's in a name? It's May 23rd. Wide world of sports films, U.S. buildings, and anagram pairs. Woo, anagrams. Yeah. I like anagrams. I do, too. Those are fun. Those are- I, I, I felt a little bad for Mari on the um, the $600 clue. All the actors playing Macavity, Teaser, and the rest in a musical. She said, what is Cat's Acts? Which I see... Where she was going with it. Yeah, it's an anagram. Yeah, but Cat's cast is what they were looking for. When they say all the actors playing Mm -hmm. the characters, that doesn't quite fit with acts. Yep. And at the $1,000 level of that, U.S. buildings, they showed a picture. The cadet chapel at this military academy has an all-faiths room and a falcon circle outside. Ryan guessed what is... West Point, and uh, that's incorrect. No one else tried it. That's the Air Force Academy. They, like I said, they showed a picture. It's it's fairly uh, recognizable, the Air Force Academy. Just if only because it's like set up right against the Rockies. Like you, you are in the foothills when you were at the academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the notion of a falcon circle probably should have should have pointed. Yeah, out. yeah, that makes sense. 
I saw the picture and knew it didn't look like West Point, but didn't know. It does. It does um, not look like West Point. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's out here down in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Or I should say just outside of Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is at the $400 level of U.S. buildings. I just love this category, apparently. Uh, pick number 19. Jody finds it. She's at 3000 Ryan's at 3200 Mari's at 2000 And she wagers 1000 Gets the clue. A radiator cap design was fittingly incorporated into the corners of this Art Deco skyscraper in New York City. And she guesses an Art Deco skyscraper with what is the Empire State Building, uh, but that fittingly has radiator caps because it is the Chrysler Building. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Ryan and Mari are tied at 4,000 and Jody is at 2,200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, relatively successful composers, possessive phrases, how epic, TV, salt and pepper, and it's an ad, 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 ad world with AD appearing in each correct response, but only once. We had Adesababa at the $800 level. I feel like we're stuck now. We're committed to pointing out every time Ethiopia. Yeah, we have to do it now. I guess we're going to have to, at some point we'll like do like some kind of Ethiopia deep dive and that can sort of. That can be the end of it. Yeah. Finally be released. Um, Is Hobson's choice a thing you had ever heard of? That is not, that was unfamiliar to me. It is not. Uh, Yeah. The clue came up with my mind was like, Sophie's choice. I'm like, that's not it. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's not what Sophie's choice is at all. Also, Sophie is not considered a man. Uh, no, I've never heard of Hobson's choice. Um, yeah. That clue huh. was taking what's offered or nothing at all is called this man's choice. Uh, and it was a triple stumper. The phrase is said to have originated with Thomas Hobson, 1544 to 1631, a livery stable owner in Cambridge, England, who offered customers the choice of either taking the horse in his stall nearest to the door or taking none at all okay okay i guess that matters like is the horse nearest the door i have the worst one i don't no idea i don't know horse stuff enough to be able to uh get that but okay now i know yeah i i have i have no idea i do have kids so i know that you know if there's a whole array of choices sometimes it turns into a whole thing that you don't want to deal with (laughs) that's true sometimes even if there aren't choices (laughs) yep that's the truth all right daily double number two is in the it's an ad 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 world category at the 1200 dollar level and jody finds it at the 10th pick she has 3800 at this point to Ryan's 8800 and Mari's 5200. She wagers 1800 and gets the clue. This large historic city is 400 miles southwest of Tehran and 500 east of Beirut. I don't know if she forgets the category or just mm-hmm. can't come up with something that fits, but she guesses what is Jerusalem, uh, but that's incorrect. Baghdad was the correct response here. Yeah. Those numbers are interesting to me. Iraq and Iran border each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas Beirut is on the Mediterranean. Right. And they're all, I mean, I guess it's a hundred miles is a big deal. But when you look at it in that perspective, they're almost equidistant. Mm-hmm. Which I would not have, I never would have, would have thought that. Yeah. Uh, and daily double number three is in the how epic category at the $800 level pick number 22. And Mari finds this one. Uh, she's at 13,600. Ryan is also at 13,600, and Jody is at 2,000, uh, and she wagers 3,500. It's an interesting position. You're tied 
there's not a ton of stuff mm-hmm. left on the board, but there are some $2,000 clues. There's still some money left. Mm-hmm. How much do you wager? Like, yeah. What do you, what do you do? Do you try to, do you bet it all to just like try and. Oh, jeez. I mean, that's a tough choice, right? Or do you bet small? Do you bet medium? Like where, where do you go? Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I think it kind of depends on how you feel about the category and also the dollar level. I would say at the $800 level, going bigger is probably safer mm-hmm. than if it were a $2,000 clue, but. But she, she wagers 3500 which is a sizable bet. Yeah. I guess the clue, in the ancient Sumerian epic, Eridu Genesis, the gods decide to destroy humankind via one of these disasters. And don't know her background knowledge or, or whatever. She guesses what is an earthquake, but that's a flood, which is, you know, kind of a notable thing that various mythologies share the flood, you know, story. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Ryan's at 18,000, Mari's at 13,300, Jody's at 2,000, and we have the final Jeopardy category, medicine, and the clue post this disease syndrome affects many survivors, of which the U.S. is estimated to have 300,000, the vast majority over 65. This was a triple stumper. Uh, Jody tried what is stroke. That is incorrect. She wagered 1,000. And dropped down to 1,000. Mari tried what is, uh, she had post-crossed out and then traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Incorrect as well with a $12,100 wager. It looks like she was looking to, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know why. she. I don't know that wager uh, either. Yeah. If you were thinking that Ryan's going to make a cover bet, you want to keep your wager pretty small mm-hmm. in this situation. Although we know Ryan has not always made cover bets, so mm-hmm. maybe not. Uh, in any case, she drops down to 1,200. Ryan has what is measles. That also is not correct with a $4,600 wager. I wonder if he just got his math wrong because the 600 seems like... It kept him above Mari if she bet zero is my guess. Oh, oh yeah, that's that's a good point. Anyway, measles isn't correct. That drops him down to 13,400. Oh, yep. I see. Yeah. Dr- lands him 100 above where she had been. And polio is what they were looking for here. Post polio. Um, yeah. yeah. I did not get there. I, I was like shingles. Shingles yeah. affects old people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think um, the vast majority over 65, it seems like Jody at least, you know, seemed to be thinking about what is a a medical thing that can happen in old, you know, in old age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they were trying to point with uh, the clue about being over 65 to a turning point where a vaccine became available. Yeah. It, it made sense when I saw it, I was like, Oh, that's what it meant. I just yeah. thought it was, what's a disease that a lot of mm-hmm. like that, that typically elderly people have or get. Cataract. Yes. Um. <laughs> Post cataract. <laughs> yeah. So Ryan wins his, uh, Seventh game. You know, a lot of these recent champions have just been winning so big that when they get to the seven-day mark, they have won a lot more than 145,000. But I think that's a really nice number to have won after seven games. Yeah. It just so happens to be what I want. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see. Anyway, uh, so Ryan wins the seventh game. And we move on to Tuesday, where we have the contestants Bonnie Kistler, a novelist from Sarasota, Florida. Eric Perez, 
an order management specialist from Shallow Lake, Ontario, Canada, and Ryan Long, a rideshare driver from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who I just said, won seven games and $145,201. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Water Under the Bridge, Sports Shorts, Ripped from the Headlines, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, Wartime U.S. Presidents, and X's Then O's. We are in Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We are. Maybe there have been nods to that outside of this category, but I thought, oh, you know, that's well-timed. Yeah. Yeah. Intentionally, so. For sure. Ryan's guess of how to pronounce Tagalog was how I also would have guessed it until I I think I I learned the correct pronunciation a while back. But, you know, as always, no judgment on anyone for having read a word but never heard it, you know? Especially, it looks so much like Tagalong in English. Yeah. Our brain is going to just put it there, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Daily Double number one is in wartime U.S. presidents at the $600 level, and Ryan finds it at the 27th pick. He has 5600 to Eric's 2200 and Bonnie's 1600 He wagers 2000 and gets the clue. In the final days of the Vietnam War, he ordered the airlift of more than 200,000 refugees, most of whom were bought, brought to the USA. Uh, Ryan tries who is Nixon, um, but Gerald Ford is the correct answer here. So that drops him down a little bit. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, he and Bonnie are tied at 3,600 with Eric trailing at 2,200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, literature, news personalities past and present, U.S. geographic history, med, brieve, medical abbreviations. We do talk about Bruno and yes, yes, yes. I wonder, I mean, I know it was a like major cultural phenomenon but I wonder how familiar the contestants were with, like, are with, you know, with Encanto mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Really, do they have small children? Yeah. Not saying that you have to have small children to have been aware of it, because there are plenty of people who don't, who are yeah. really aware of it. But mm-hmm. It's unlikely that people without small children have had to watch Encanto perhaps multiple times in the same day. Gotten to watch Encanto a number multiple of days times in, a row. in the same day. <laughs> Mommy, watch Kanto? <laughs> Mommy, watch Kanto? <laughs> yeah, uh, there was no actual Encanto content in no. either of these categories. It was about people named Bruno and words that are used in the affirmative. Mm-hmm. Like affirmative. That was what Yeah. Was. Yep. <laughs> a group of hip kids might tell you yes with this five-letter slang or be referring to, to the bags they carry. Totes Mm-mm. was the answer on that triple stumper. And these hip kids, I think, probably would have been somewhere in the past 10 or 15, 20, 20 years. I Maybe don't know. Carrying tote bags. Yeah, that threw me off because I was like, what kind of bag do hip kids wear? I'm like, totes. Like those. No, part of that clue is wrong. Hip kids do not carry totes. Well, but do, also, do they say totes anymore? Uh, totes was on, on Urban Dictionary as early as 2003. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm trying to think if my students see it. I think that it's chuggy now. It probably is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't acknowledge chuggy as a construct, but I'm pretty sure that saying totes is. is that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't acknowledge chuggy as a 
construct and I'm going to keep wearing my skinny jeans. <laughs> Some of my students <laughs> my side part. Uh, have started to try to use slang from 15 to 20 years ago with me. Like, they, <laughs> like, like slang from when, you know, when I was in high school or middle school. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you saying that? They're like... Well, that's because that's how you guys talk. Like, I don't talk like that anymore. I'm a grown adult. <laughs> what do you, like, I don't, why are you saying that stuff? Because mm -hmm. that's what you guys say. Like, oh, mm -hmm. oh, I have put away my childish things. <laughs> they also missed an opportunity in the Bruno category to bring up uh, Bruce Willis's hit album. And by hit, I mean musical album. I think it's called I Am Bruno. Is that hmm. what, is it? I am Bruno. The Return of Bruno. Which was it? Oh, it was also a film? Wait, what? No. What? It is a mockumentary starring Bruce Willis as his fictitious alter ego, Bruno Rattellini, a legendary blues singer musician who influenced as the story goes a number of other famous musicians, and he has an album. Oh, I need to do more research on this before I talk about it. I did not know that. Okay, anyway. We could have done a deep dive about Bruce Willis being Bruno if that had been the thing, but... I'm sure that's what I would have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Daily Double number two is in the literature category at the $1,200 level. It's pick number 11. Uh, Bonnie finds it. She is at 3200 Ryan is up to 8800 and Eric is at 3000 and she wagers a mere $1,200. Uh, I would have just probably bet it all at that point. There's lots of stuff on the board. She gets a clue. This Shakespeare character says, When I was about thy years, Hal, I was not an eagle's talon in the waist. And she gets it correct with who is Falstaff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daily Double number three is in the U.S. Geographic History category at the $1,600 level. And Ryan finds it at the 21st pick. He has 12400 at this point. Eric is at 4,600. Bonnie's at 7,200. Ryan wagers 2,000 and gets the clue reflecting the name of Istanbul's harbor circa 1846. The strait connecting this U.S. bay to the ocean was dubbed Chrysopoli. And he tries what is the Hudson, um, but they were looking for San Francisco Bay. Chrysopoli means Golden Gate. I don't think I would have put that together in the time given, but yeah, after explaining, I'm like, oh, yes, I do. I do know those things. I did know that Greek. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, this is a this is kind of a tough double jeopardy. Uh, Ryan is in a locked tie position at 15,200. Eric is at 5,800 and Bonnie is at 7,600. Exactly half of Ryan's score. We get the category, the Middle Ages, and the clue. It was the surname of the two Scottish brothers who claimed monarchies of two different countries in the 13-teens. Uh, Eric got it correct with what is Bruce? As in Robert the Bruce and Edward the Bruce. And he wagered 57.98. Bonnie wrote what is Stuart? Which is incorrect, and she bet everything, as well she should, in this position. So House of Stuart was significantly later, and mm -hmm. also, like, British royalty. Uh, Ryan also guessed what is Stuart, but he bet zero, so he was going for the tie, rather than the $1 win. 
which was interesting. Yeah. He was going for the tie. But I, again, like we've talked about it, I, I, I think I would probably go for the $1 wager mm-hmm. because I, then I don't have to rely on a buzzer. But also, he's in his eighth game and there's only been one game and it was only his first game that he didn't go into Final Jeopardy with the lead. So statistically, he is better on the buzzer than his opponents. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't, I think there's merit to it. I think yeah. it's fine. I think you can make that choice and it can be argued. Personally, yeah. I would go for the dollar. Yeah, that's that's how I feel as well. But I think when you have consistently outbuzzed, outbuzzed your opponents, putting yourself in a situation where you might have to do it again, is it's not the worst. Yeah. So I'm with you. Um, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Nora Dabuse, a physician from Clarendon Hills, Illinois. Chris Olson, a high school music teacher from Lexington, mm. Kentucky. And Ryan Long, a rideshare driver from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, whose eight-day cash winnings total 160401 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Let's Get Historical, Movie Supervillains, Fun with U.S. City Flags, 80s and 90s Nonfiction, Five Letter W's, and Bond Appetite, based on the James Bond books. You don't need to know anything about James Bond to get these. <laughs> yeah. It's really just questions about food that happen to be mentioned in, in James Bond books. Mm-hmm. But I still liked it. Yeah. I haven't ordered a whole lot of caviar in my life, but the $400 clue in, ca- in Casino Royale, Bond says to Vesper, the trouble with this pricey dish is how to get enough toast with it. Uh, Ryan got that one. It's caviar. And like... So true. The The like classier the restaurant and like the fancier the like thing that comes with like the little the little toasts like the more likely you are to get like a hugely disproportionate like mm-hmm. amount of of toast per what's supposed to go on it <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i i just i was like oh that's that's you know it's Not very true goes. it's yes. very true i can't I get limited experience with caviar but like Every time <laughs> there was one of the uh, early seasons of the amazing race, they, ha- they haven't done as many uh, eating challenges mm-hmm. in more recent seasons, which I really appreciate because that's just weird. But they had a number of eating challenges in the early seasons. And one of them was like, you have to eat two kilograms of caviar in Ugh. one sitting. Oh, it's like this massive bowl. And, like, you can have as much toast as you want. You can, you know, you have as much drink as you want. But it, it just, like, oh, I'm getting kind of nauseous just, like, remembering it. It was so gross. Blah. And also, like, why would anyone ever want caviar? Oh, I like caviar. Do you really? Yeah, Maybe I do. I've never had good yeah. caviar, but it's just, like, there are better things I could put on toast mm. that I would enjoy more and pay less. But even so. I mean, even I, even if you like caviar, two kilograms, two kilograms uh, yeah, of no, anything that sounds, that is sounds like horrible. just too much. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, that's immediately where my mind went when it saw caviar. So I'm ruined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily double number one is in Let's Get Historical at the $800 level. Pick number 16. And Chris finds it. He is at 200. Ryan's at 4,200. Nor is at 1,400. And he wagers 1,000, as well he should. 
And he gets the clue. This 1,700-pound chunk of rock called granodiorite was found in Egypt in 1799. And he gets correct with what is the Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. Which I don't... I've never seen in person. And that is much bigger than I have always imagined it. That's a massive stone. But I guess that makes sense because it has multiple languages inscribed on it. And it would need to be pretty big to have a representative sample. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ryan is at a nice clean 10,000. Chris is at 600 and Nora is at 1,400. We have the double Jeopardy round categories, rough national anthem lyrics, the one before the famous one, my name is Steven, lending TV support, it's the Jurassic period, and here comes a brontothosaurus. Bronte, (laughs) Bronte thesaurus. I left a couple of Bronte thesaurus clues on the board. Ran out of time. Didn't see the 2,000 or the 400. I don't think those ones will be reusable either. Yeah, probably not. It would be hard to to do that. Yeah. The one before the famous one I thought was kind of an interesting kind of theme for a category. It was was kind of hard, too. I mean, it just requires an extra step, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a a Bible clue in there. The psalm that comes before the Lord is my shepherd one begins, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, Chris got that one. Psalm 22. I'm not, I mean, Psalm 23, I think is, is more famous, but like Psalm 22 is like a noteworthy one in that it's the one that Jesus is said to have quoted from the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's an important one. There also was a an incorrect guess and a rebound at the $1,600 level there. Uh, no one's written a, a musical about this Manhattan street, but the century-old Nederlander Theater is on it. And Nora tried, what is Fifth Avenue? Um, but they were looking for 40, 41st Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 42nd Street is the musical and kind of the street that is most associated with Broadway. Mm. Um, with Broadway music, Broadway's Broadway runs <laughs> north south. Uh, Forty yeah. Second Street runs east west, and like Broadway and Forty Second is kind of like the like the time like that's the where the big Times Square intersection is, and kind of the center of like the the Broadway theater district. Mm-hmm. Just ten blocks north, Broadway and Fifty Second Street is where you would find all of the old jazz clubs. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. And this is the same category where we have Daily Double number two in the $1,200 level. And Chris finds it at the fourth pick. He has 1800 to Ryan's 10000 and Nora's... Oh, also $1,800. Uh, so he and, he and Nora are tied at 1800 with Ryan at 10000 He wagers 1700 and gets the clue, This king got married just once to Elizabeth of York in 1486. And he can't figure out what they are trying to get out here. here. Um, but you need to think of a king who got married a lot more than just once, as Kyle discussed in a recent deep dive. Um, and then you need to know or take a guess whether his dad had the same name, which he did. So Henry Seventh would have been the correct response here. Right. And David Double Number 3 is in the Rough National Anthem Lyrics category. At the $1,600 level, it's pick number 16. Chris finds this one as well. Chris found all three of them. 
He's only at 3,700. Ryan's at 7,600. Nor is at 2,200. And he wagers 1,000. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. feel like I feel like first place is close enough. You can you can go for it. Yeah. He got the clue. Scipio's helmet sounds cool, but is only sung once in the anthem of this country. We are ready to die makes it in four times. And he guesses what is Spain, uh, but that is Italy. Which is, mm-hmm. I mean, you just got to know Scipio is Italian, I guess. Not a lot of clues there, but. Yeah, not a whole lot to go on. Um, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Ryan has a lock game with 12,800. Chris is at 6,300. Nora is at 4,200. And we have the final jeopardy category, famous speeches. And the clue in a draft of FDR's speech of December 8, 1941, the words world history were changed to this one word. Nora tried what is democracy? That is incorrect. Uh, she's wagered 4,000. That drops her down to 200. Chris got it correct with what is infamy, uh, a date which will live in infamy, is the, the full quote there. Uh, he's wagered 6,300 uh, 6, everything, um, bringing him up to 12,600. And Ryan also has it correct, what is infamy, and knew not to risk his lock. So he wagered just 100. Uh, that puts brings him up to 12,900 and gives him his ninth win. Yeah, he just he just keeps winning. Yeah. Uh, so on Thursday, we have the contestants John Seroth, a performing arts publicist from Brooklyn, New York. Tori Waltrip, a senior account manager from Seattle, Washington. And Ryan Long, a rideshare driver from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, whose nine-day cash winnings are now $173,301. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, the United Nations. That's my boy. Let's county up that state. Aviators, the Silent Consonant Inn, and Sneakers with Jacques Slade, which was a video category. Mm-hmm. Who is Jacques Slade? He's a sneakerhead, obviously. YouTuber. Hmm. Google's little caption has him as just, uh, as a as a YouTuber. I learned about shoes. Yeah, I knew a few of these, but the ones that I knew I did not know because of my extensive knowledge of sneakers. That is, uh, that's a, a subculture that I have very little knowledge of. Mm-hmm. I did know that Reebok is a. Uh, word for a south african antelope yep so yeah so i thought they did a nice job of having um other roots non-sneaker roots into all of these most of these clues yeah yeah Mm -hmm. for sure the word ailerons i think for me comes up only in a trivia setting (laughs) yeah i think i read some book as a kid where that word was used a lot so that the author could show off that they know what they're talking about when they're describing the airplane or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I did not know that that's actually what they were. I just knew that it was a, it's a word that's on a plane. Yeah. They're the little flappy things on the mm-hmm. wings. Mm-hmm. Um, Daily Double number one is in the United Nations category at the $600 level. And Ryan finds it at the 19th pick. He has 3600 at this point. With Tori and John tied at 2,000, he wagers 1,000 and gets the clue 
of the six official languages of the UN. This one is first alphabetically. He tries to come up with it. He guesses Chinese. Uh, there is a, there is an earlier one than that. I don't know what the what the official languages of the UN are, but Arabic is the first alphabetically. Although I guess it depends on you know whose alphabet. <laughs> right. Maybe, um, yeah, English alphabet and the way we call it. Sure. Yeah, Arabic would be first. I think it's English, uh, French, Spanish. No, English, French, Russian, German, Arabic, and I think Chinese. Though I'm not sure. I, I would imagine Mandarin, but yeah, I have it in front of me: Arabic, Chinese, English, French, Russian, and Spanish. Spanish, not German. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought Spanish was in there, but then I was like, well, maybe I don't know. Many places in the world speak Spanish, whereas German mm-hmm. is. Fairly, fairly insular. So uh, at the end of the Jeopardy round, the contestants are pretty close. And Ryan's in third place with 1,600. Dory's at 2,600. John's at 3,000. Uh, so Ryan will pick first from the categories Historia Española, Allusions of Grandeur, uh, Allusions with an A, uh, Numerical Book Titles, Movie Co-Stars, Big Animals, and Ends in Et, E-T-T-E. Left a couple of clues on the board here, probably because of that video category in the earlier part of the game. Hmm. Yeah. The uh, Spanish history or history Española category did not go great for uh, them. They only got the 1200 clue, which was Spain lost this North American territory to the Brits in 1763, but got it back in 1783, at least for a while. That was Florida. Tory got that. But triple stumper at the $800 level, the second statute of autonomy was approved in 17, nope, 1979 for the country of this people in a region of northern Spain. Tori guess what is Catalan, which is fair. It is, Catalonia is the northeast. Mm-hmm. But the particularly notable, like, separate ethnic group in north Spain is the Basques. Yeah. And they were in the news for a while, decade ago. I don't remember. I feel like, I feel like Basque, like the Basque territory was in the news in america for a bit and then it went away again yeah i have not read it myself but i've heard that the 101 dalmatians is an absolutely wild read (laughs) in what way uh like did disney like tone things down or is it just is it like a lewis carroll kind of wild Maybe I'm thinking of like there was a like the like the book that is the sequel like there I feel like there's I I remember reading some summary of the plot that it was like it was like a much more oh no it is it is this okay um this is like a like a very circuitous plot with like all kinds of um kind of fantastical elements you know besides you know sort of you know, dogs that are smart and can talk amongst themselves. Oh, here we go. Okay. It was about the sequel. A 1967 sequel, The Starlight Barking, continues from the end of the novel. That's okay. the, the book that I had heard of that was that was wild. Yes. Um, in which dogs are able to communicate to via thought waves to others many miles away, discover they can swoosh or hover at tremendous speed over the ground. Okay. I think there's some stuff with like alien dogs. Anyway, Disney took the 101 Dalmatians in a, in a much more tame direction. Interesting. <laughs> with the with the you know the whole Cruella Deville 
you know thing mm-hmm. which was which was in the original you know the original book but yeah i think i think dodie smith wrote wrote that and then <laughs> just went on some kind of like uh it was the 60s yeah was it the 60s when was it written it was yes no it was the 60s went on went on some kind of i was i was i wasn't didn't want to mischaracterize the book but yeah no went on some kind of psychedelic thing with the sequel anyway um yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really want to read it sometime because I, I like heard of it and it just sounded so wild that it, it was sound, like, yeah. Sound like it would be a fun time. Yeah. Daily Devil number two is in the numerical book titles category down at the bottom, the $2,000 level. Pick number 13 and Ryan uh, finds it. He's at 12,000. Tori's at 2,600. John is at 5,400. Uh, he wagers 2,000. He's got a pretty big lead. Gets the clue, a strange discovery on the moon sets off a secret mission to a moon of Saturn in this sci-fi novel. And Ryan uh, just doesn't have it. But that is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three um, is in the Illusions of Grandeur category at the $1,600 level. And John finds this one. He has 6,600 at this point to Ryan's 9,200 and Tori's 5,400. He wagers 4,000 and gets the clue, an ancient city on the Euphrates River known for its magnificence. Today, it can also mean a place of vice and corruption. He does not come with anything. Uh, They were looking for Babylon here. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, yeah, I guess it it is used in that regard. Yeah, I guess so. I was like, I, I wouldn't think of it as, yeah, no, that's, that's where my mind went. I, I wouldn't think of that as like a primary connotation yeah. in my mind, at least. Yeah. So this was a, an up and down tough game. Mm-hmm. Ryan is at 10,000, which is a lock position. Tori is at 4,600 and John is at 3,000. The final Jeopardy category is historic geography and the clue is... A 1946 speech declared the terminuses of the Iron Curtain to be port cities serving these two seas. And this is a triple stumper, uh, which I I think is fairly understandable if you don't know the exact verbiage of the of the speech by, I think, Winston Churchill, then you're you're just kind of guessing here. Uh, John wrote what is Greenbrier and Tennessee, which is his hometown. Uh, That is incorrect. Shockingly. And he wagered zero. Tori wrote, what are the Adriatic and Caspian Seas? Uh, that is not correct. That would be kind of going almost east to west. Or west to east, I guess. And uh, wager 2000. Ryan got it incorrect with either the North and the Baltic, which are, are also kind of east to west. But he wagered zero because he was in a locked position. Didn't need to risk anything. Uh, that's the Baltic and Adriatic Seas. So both of them were named by contestants, but uh, they couldn't quite put it together. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, May 27th, we have the contestants Aaron Gullius, a community college history instructor from Grand Blanc, Michigan, Srimal Choi, a chief strategy officer from Falls Church, Virginia, and Ryan Long, a rideshare driver from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, whose 10-day cash winnings total $183,301. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Quick History, Books About Celebs, I'll Have Thirds, Words from Geography, Makeup, 
and your mind. Make up your mind. Hilarious. Yeah. I thought the makeup clues were accessible, but also Ryan and Aaron did not shy away from attempting them, which I liked. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes when you have a like a category that's sort of associated with femininity, it's like the only the female contestants seem to even try sometimes, you know? Sure. And I I, I liked, you know, I liked see I like seeing, you know, con- contestants in- engage with things that maybe are not kind of necessarily in their wheelhouse. I don't know if these are in Ryan and Aaron's wheelhouse, yeah. but they got questions about mascara and eyeshadow palettes that BB cream st- stands for beauty this, um, a balm, and um, identified a kabuki brush. So, hey, nice work. Yeah. I don't know what was quick about quick history, except that I guess the clues were maybe a little shorter than average, but like all of them have to fit in the... <laughs> <laughs> in the box. <laughs> a little blue box. Right. So it's, like it's, not, it's usually not going to be more than a sentence. Yep. So Daily Double number one is in the words from geography category at the $400 level. Pick number 12. Aaron finds it. He's at 4800 which is a really big lead over Ryan's 200 and and Sermal's 40, or 400 And he wagers 1000 and gets the clue, now a rundown area of any city. It comes from a type of road along which logs were hauled. And he guesses what is a slum, which I think is a fine guess, uh, but it is Skid Row. Mm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ryan is at 4,600. Sirmal is at 800, and Aaron is in the lead at 6,400. The double Jeopardy categories, literary shipping, religion, they sang super sexy 70s lyrics, Europe, Alliteration all around and vocabulary with V in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this is an exciting round. Aaron and Ryan were just. Uh, oh yeah. They were duking it out. Uh, unfortunately, that meant that Sirmal basically did not get in on the buzzer, mm-hmm. hardly at all. Yeah. A daily double number two is in the literary shipping category at the twelve hundred dollar level. And Srimal finds this one as the third pick. Uh, she has 1,600. Uh, Ryan's at 5,800. Aaron's at 6,400. She wagers 1,000. It's just the third pick. So I, I would maybe make it. Just do it all. Yeah. yeah. Or the or the full, you know, the full. Or 2,000. 2,000. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. 2,000 in this situation. But, you know, it's okay. She gets the clue in a Paul Gallico adventure novel, this liner is capsized by a tidal wave and the survivors climb up to the hull to find a way out. Uh, she is, she says, what is the Poseidon adventure? Um, they were just looking for the name of the ship. So the Poseidon, um, but that's, they, they accept the, the full title because the, you know, the, the ship name is right there. It's not learned league rules, but you know, they, <laughs> they, they, I guess they follow that in this case. Um, Learned league rules being if you have the correct response at the beginning of your clue and so subsequent at the beginning of your response and then supply further words that are not correct, you will still be marked correct. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's what they were doing exactly here. But anyway, she she knew it was the Poseidon in the Poseidon adventure. So she she does get credit. And daily double number three is in the Europe category. It's pick number 18, $1,200 level in Aaron. Finds this one too. So Ryan hasn't gotten any of the daily doubles. 
Aaron is at 13,200. Ryan is at 9,800. And Sermal is at 2,600. Anyway, there's 2,000. He gets the clue. From 1949 to 1990, this city on the Rhine River was a national capital. And he gets it correct with what is Bonn. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Aaron's in the lead with 14,800. Ryan has 13,000. Srimal has 7,000. And our final Jeopardy category is sports and entertainment. And the clue is, in 2021, this Hall of Fame athlete launched Omaha Productions. And I know that I should just know this one based on how much it's come up here. <laughs> <On the> podcast. <laughs> yes. And I, I sort of knew it, but not with confidence. Srimal has who is Woods. Um, that is not correct. She's wagered 2,000. Uh, that'll drop her down to 5,000. Uh, Ryan has responded, who is Peyton Manning? He's wagered 12,999. That is not the correct wager if you think Aaron's going to make a cover bet. Right. <laughs> you would expect Aaron to bet 11,201 and to drop way, way, way down if yeah. he misses. So... You don't want to bet everything but a dollar if you think Aaron will make a cover bet. But anyway, Ryan has bet everything but a dollar. That takes him up to 25999 And Aaron has written, who is Nature Boy Ric Flair? Yeah. Is this a joke I don't get? Uh, it's a professional wrestler. It's an old oh, um, Ric Flair. Okay. Is a, one of the older WWE wrestlers. Yeah. WWF wm-hmm. wrestlers. Okay. And he's wagered zero for... Some reason. Um, For maybe- some reason. Why? <laughs> I mean, does he is he relying on Ryan getting it wrong? Because then he like he's staying above Shermal's double. Yeah, I, maybe. I mean, they- I have there have been times when I thought to myself. Sometimes I look at a category title and think, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this <laughs> this is not a category for me. And although Jeopardy does tend to ask questions that are accessible to people who are not experts in those topics. Sometimes there's a category that I look at and I'm like, mm, that one's not for me. And I have I have sometimes thought to myself, I think that if I were in the lead on this one, I would still wager zero because I don't think there's really much hope at all of my score going up in this category. Um, so I don't know if that was Aaron's thought process. He, he knows it. He knows a wrestler I don't know, so I feel like I don't know if I would rule sports and entertainment out entirely from his position. He seems to know more about that topic than I do, at least. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, in this case, I don't know. All all of the wagering rules have broken, and um, Ryan wins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice so job, wagering, Ryan. <laughs> wagering this week has been not strategic. But fine. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the thing, like, and this is, this has been my, my quibble with a lot of, like, the, um, like, canonical, like, guidance on how to wager in Jeopardy is, like, mm-hmm. all of the stuff is, like, you assume that your opponent, you know, for, like, the baseline assumption is that your opponents understand wagering strategy and are going to do the optimal thing for them. Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes, sometimes I don't think that about about everyone right? right like you know like like we know that jeopardy contestants don't always wager optimally and like i think a lot of the 
traditional wagering advice does not take that into account at all, you know? Right. It's kind of like any betting, right? It's any kind of not to not to say you're necessarily gambling, but any kind of like gambling venture where you're against other people mm-hmm. on kind of like quote unquote equal footing. You can figure it out to a point, but then there's also the entire realistic possibility that the other person is not going to do what's optimal. Right. And at which point your strategy is not necessarily sound. Yeah. I don't know. When we when we were there taping, there was like there was some chit chat about wagering strategy and there was one person who was like, Oh, I didn't look about uh, anything about how to do any of that, you know, I didn't have time for that. You know, and like that's the sort of thing that I was like, oh, fi- like, file that one away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this person does not know basically what to do as far as wagering goes. So, like, do not assume that they've, like, watched the same YouTube videos as everybody else and are going to, like, follow the, like, the algorithm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, I- I- I'm excited we'll get to see Ryan play some more next week. Yeah. I mean, he's won 11 games. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Um, So this is the point in the show when we take a moment to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. We have a little bit of exclusive content there. Not a whole lot, but we get the quiz questions up there um, before the show goes live after we record so that you can get a little bit of a preview of them. And um, the money that we get there helps us to offset the cost of making this podcast. So if you have a couple of bucks a month to help us out with that, we would very much appreciate it. And we also take this time to um, acknowledge that there are more important things in the world uh, than our podcast. And uh, to encourage you, if you're having to be discerning about where your funds go, to prioritize that those things over us. And, oh my gosh, this week has been brutal. So, yes, I don't know. Do you have a favorite gun violence one, Kyle? Sandy Hook Promise has been uh, kind of coming up a lot in my circles. It's, um, yeah, that's a good one. Um, shoot, what is it? Oh, I, f- I feel bad because I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, but a fellow teacher of mine who was a Columbine survivor does, is part of an organization that goes to communities who experience school shootings and like works with the teachers mm. and the principals and, and the staff and, and the, like the people who have been, I mean, obviously everyone is directed, is, is, is impacted by it, but they yeah. go and do good work there too. Yeah. Well, I, I will, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Put it in I the show it. notes. I surprised you with that one. Sorry, but that's um, okay. yeah, I just, I, I can't, I can't say the normal, organizations who also do important work right now without kind of taking a moment to kind of lift that up because wow anyway do you have deeper dive guesses i do are you talking about the iron curtain i'm not talking about the iron curtain are you talking about polio uh no i thought about it but no because i both of those were final Jeopardy ones, so I figured. They yeah, were, yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they both would have been good because they were final Jeopardy ones, but I was, uh, uh, I got, I looked at them and got intimidated. Yeah, they're pretty big. Are you talking about the Hermitage? I am. Yes. 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 Ah, uh, ten points <clears throat> to I don't know Ravenclaw. I don't know. I would be a Ravenclaw for sure. Yeah. Yes. So 
Uh, it was a Friday. It was Friday's game in the, the quick history category at the $800 level. Adding to the Winter Palace, Catherine the Great began this museum in 1764. Is it Hermitage? 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 I, I don't know. I've heard it pronounced a lot of different ways. All right. I'm going to say the Hermitage. Okay. And so, yeah, no one guessed. And I knew that the Hermitage Museum was a thing and that it had been a palace and like i was i don't know i was i've always i have always known just barely enough to get the trivia questions right but like just as like a set of just as a set of buzzwords so i figured i'd um put a little actual knowledge around that and see if it was see if it was helpful for anyone else as well so, the State Hermitage Museum is a museum of art and culture in St. Petersburg, Russia. It is the largest art museum in the world by gallery space. Uh, it was founded in 1764 when Empress Catherine the Great acquired an impressive collection of paintings from the Berlin merchant Johann Ernst Gotzkowski. It's been open to the public since 1852, and uh, it was ranked in 2021 sixth in art newspapers list of the most visited art museums in the world. In 2021, it had 1.6 million visitors. Originally, the only building housing the collection was the small Hermitage. Uh, today, the Hermitage Museum encompasses many buildings on the palace embankment and its neighborhoods. Uh, apart from the small Hermitage, the museum now also includes the old Hermitage, also known as the large Hermitage, the new Hermitage, the Hermitage Theater, and the Winter Palace, uh, which is the former main residence of the Russian Tsars. In recent years, uh, the Hermitage has expanded to the General Staff Building on the Palace Square facing the Winter Palace and the Menshikov Palace. Catherine the Great started her art collection in 1764 by purchasing paintings from Berlin merchant Johann Ernst Gotzkowski, as I mentioned, he assembled the collection for Frederick II of Prussia, who ultimately refused to purchase it. So um, he sold it to Catherine the Great. He is said to have sold her either 225 or 317 paintings. There are conflicting accounts, mainly Flemish and Dutch, as well as others, including 90 that we don't really know what they were, uh, not precisely identified, uh, sold to the Russian crown. Some of the most famous and notable artworks from that original purchase were Rembrandt's Danae, painted in 1636, uh, Rembrandt's Descent from the Cross, uh, painted in 1624, Portrait of a Young Man Holding a Glove, painted by Franz Halls in 1650. In 1764, Catherine commissioned Yuri Felton to build an extension on the east of the Winter Palace, which he completed in 1766. Uh, later, it became the Southern Pavilion of the Small Hermitage. From 1767 to 1769, French arch architect Jean-Baptiste Valin de Lamotte built the Northern Pavilion on the Neva Embankment. Between 1767 and 1775, the extensions were connected by galleries where Catherine put her collections. And the entire neoclassical building is now known as the Small Hermitage. Uh, during the time of Catherine, the Hermitage was not a public museum, and few people were allowed to view its holdings. That is probably how it got its name, although it's hard to find an authoritative source on that. Um, but, you know, think about 
private reclusive hermits you know the the uh the art collection was was kept um private and for very few viewers uh catherine continued to acquire additions to her collection her favorite items to collect were believed to be engraved gems and cameos the collection soon overgrew the building. Um, in her lifetime, Catherine acquired 4,000 paintings from the old masters, 38,000 books, 10,000 engraved gems, 10,000 drawings, 16,000 coins and medals, and a natural history collection filling two galleries. In 1771, she commissioned Yuri Felton to build another major extension. The building was completed in 1787 and has come to be known as the Large Hermitage or the Old Hermitage. She also gave the name of the hermitage to her private theater, built nearby between 1783 and 1787 by Italian architect Giacomo Quarenghi. From 1787 to 1792, uh, the same architect designed and built a wing along the Winter Canal. In London in 1787, Catherine acquired the collection of sculpture that belonged to uh, Lyde Brown, uh, mostly ancient Roman marbles which she used to adorn the Catherine Palace, but later became the core of the Classical Antiquities collection of the Hermitage. Catherine took great pride in her collection, and uh, it was it, competitive, like, art collecting and sort of uh, was, was prevalent in European royal court culture. I don't know. Rich people liked a rich person mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. now and in the past, I think, is uh, is the upshot. Always been. Um, yep. Through her art collection, she gained acknowledgement and acceptance um, and sought to portray Russia as an enlightened society. Um, she invested much of her identity in being a patron of the arts. Uh, she was particularly fond of the Roman deity Minerva. Um, there's some documentation of her describing herself as Catherine the Minerva um, or having like works commissioned with that title. Hmm. In 1815, Alexander I purchased 38 pictures from the heirs of Josephine de Beauharnais, um, most of which had been looted by the French this this acquisition made the Hermitage collection of Rembrandts uh, the largest in the world. In 1838, uh, Nicholas I commissioned the neoclassical German architect Leo von Klenze to design a building for the public museum. Um, space for the museum was made next to the small Hermitage by the demolition of the Shepelov Palace and Royal Stables. Uh, and the new Hermitage was opened to the public on February 5th, 1852. So we're almost 100 years after kind of the beginning of the Hermitage, like mm-hmm. as, an, as an art collection. But we are now at the point of it being a public museum. Okay. Immediately after the revolution of 1917, the Imperial Hermitage and the Winter Palace uh, were proclaimed state museums and eventually merged. Um, the range of the Hermitage's exhibits was further expanded when private art collections from several palaces of the Russian czars and numerous private mansions were nationalized and redistributed among major Soviet state museums. In 1928, the Soviet government ordered the Hermitage to compile a list of valuable works of art for export. Uh, From 1930 to 1934, over 2,000 works from the Hermitage collection were sold, um, including Raphael's Alba Madonna, Titian's Venus with a Mirror, uh, Jan van Eyck's Annunciation, and uh, masterpieces by Botticelli, Rembrandt, Van Dyck, and others. 
with the German invasion of the Soviet Union in 1941, uh, before the siege of Leningrad started, two trains with a considerable part of the collections of the Hermitage were evacuated, but brought back in 1945. Um, and in November 1945, the museum reopened. Uh, in 1991, it became known that some paintings looted by the Red Army in Germany in 1945 were held in the Hermitage. And in 1994, October 1994, the Hermitage officially announced that it had a major trove of French Impressionist and Post-Impressionist paintings from German private collections. Um, the, exhibition, the exhibition Hidden Treasures Revealed opened in March of 1995 with 74 of the paintings displayed for the first time. And uh, that's kind of a, a rundown of the history of the Hermitage Museum from kind of private collection to enormous art museum. Oh, but let me also mention the cats. Do you know about the cats? I didn't know about the cats. I don't know about the cats. Tell me about the cats. The Hermitage cats are a group of cats residing in the Hermitage Museum. The museum has a press secretary dedicated to the the cats and okay. three professional caretakers. Um, they live in the museum's basement and also appear on the embankment and on the square during the summer. Uh, in previous eras, they used to roam through the museum galleries, um, but that's, that's frowned on these days. <laughs> um, they've been there since 1745 when, when Elizabeth, Order Empress Elizabeth, I guess it was at that point. I don't know. Ordered cats to be placed in the palace in order to control the mice. Mm -hmm. They were they've remained there ever since, except during World War II, uh, the cat population died off in the. I guess it was the siege. My World War II knowledge is is a little shaky. Sure, but yeah, the cat the cat population died off in mm. in World War II. A new group of cats replaced the previous cats uh, after the war was over. It was a priority because the rat population had increased. And uh, so they needed cats there again to do their job. In the late 1990s, a program was begun to care for the cats mm -hmm. and uh, who, who had been sort of, I think it had not been so formal before that. And uh, in 2007, the museum began adopting cats in need of homes to sort of contribute to the Hermitage Cat uh, program. In 2011, the museum began its uh, annual Cat Fest um, uh, in 2013, which is when I saw like the the, the cat count that I saw that, that they had 74 cats oh, on the property. Um, so there is cats. a yeah, there is a dedicated kitchen for preparing their food. The cat press secretary notes that they all have different prefer preferences. Um, and even a small hospital to see to their needs. So yeah, the Hermitage Cats um, okay. is the best piece of trivia I have come across today. That's, um, yeah. that's something. So are you ready for a quiz? Sure. So I believe I mentioned that the Hermitage Museum is the world's sixth most visited art museum. And so I thought, hey, that's if it's the sixth, we can go from number six to number one and that's that that will be a great way okay. to structure the quiz plus you're starting with 10 points already yes all right so you're at 10 and question number one uh this question is about you know connects to the hermitage so our deep dive today focused on the hermitage museum campus itself 
But in recent years, the Hermitage has launched several dependencies elsewhere, museums affiliated with and owned by the Hermitage Museum in other locations. There are dependencies in Amsterdam and Ferrara in Italy, as well as several locations throughout Russia. A collaboration of the Hermitage and the Guggenheim opened in Las Vegas in 2001, but closed in 2008. And a second collaboration between the Hermitage and the Guggenheim has been proposed in a new location, the capital city of Lithuania. What is the name of that city? Oh, God. Which one is Lithuania? Okay, hang on. Okay, Latvia. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure I remember the other two. Tallinn is Estonia. I'm pretty sure Riga is Latvia. Uh-huh. Oh, what is that? Oh, man. I, I'm picturing the map and there's just like blank space there. Is it Vilnius? It is! Oh, okay. oh yes! <laughs> nice! Ooh. Good fall. All right. That's how you win seven Jeopardy games. Um, <laughs> Not when it takes that long. <laughs> All right. You are at 20 points. Um, question two. The National Gallery of Art. The National Gallery of Art was established by what American banker, businessman, and industrialist from Pittsburgh, whose enthusiasm for the project likely stemmed in part from a desire to wiggle out of some tax issues by funding the project and donating his art collection to it. A noted Pittsburgh institution has the name of both this man and another industrialist who is associated with the steel industry. Oh... Okay, so the one who is associated with the steel industry, because at first when you say, you know, Pittsburgh, which if this is the case, then this is a very good clue. I'm hoping that I'm reading it right. When you say Pittsburgh industrialist, you think Carnegie. Mm-hmm. But if but if he's the one who is in the steel industry, then the other one would be Mellon. And I'm going to go with that. That is correct. Okay. That was yeah. a very well-structured clue. Thank you. That was, that was uh, really good. Yeah. So um, and Andrew Mellon actually acquired the art collection that he then donated to found the National Gallery of Art from the Hermitage. Mm. Yeah. So I didn't, nice. I didn't cover that part during the deep dive because I knew I would be asking this question. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're at 30 points. Question three, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, The Met was in the news recently uh, with its annual gala taking place on May 2nd of this year. Of particular note was Kim Kardashian's outfit, which was a garment borrowed from a Ripley's Believe It or Not collection. What famous person born Norma Jean Mortensen famously wore that garment first? Uh, That was Marilyn Monroe. It was Marilyn Monroe. The Met Gala benefits their costume institute. I don't think I realized. I guess I hadn't really thought about it all that much. Um, yeah. But where, where, where does the money go from the gala? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's where it goes. So it's there were there were some good reasons having to do with like like archival like preservation of garments that like we don't have people wear mm-hmm. garments of historical import right um so um <laughs> yeah anyway you're at 40 points goodness gracious all right question four 
the Multimedia Art Museum in Moscow. This one was a bit of a surprise to me, mm. and I had a hard time finding much about it. I sort of wonder, like, how these visitor statistics are are being gathered and, like, whether, like, what counts. Mm-hmm. But it may, be, it may just be that it's a phenomenally popular museum that is not especially known to, you know, international visitors, like, you know, right, internationally. Yeah. yeah. Um, in any case, this is a museum that focuses on contemporary art and multimedia technologies. Um, and as I was looking into it a little bit, um, one of its projects is an online archive intended to document Russian history through photographs. Um, and anyone can submit photos to this project. What portmanteau coined in 2006 describes this modern phenomenon of using a large group of dispersed participants to contribute to or produce work? Um, portmanteau. Huh. The only term that's coming to mind is crowdsourcing, and I don't know if that's what counts. And I also don't know if that's technically what this is, or if there's a a more artistic term for it, but I don't think I'm going to get anything else. So I'm going to go with crowdsourcing. Oh, I'm so glad you did okay. because crowdsourcing is correct. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently crowdsourcing, I, I was like, well, crowd and source, like the source of the, but outsourcing is mm-hmm. the, yeah. So crowd plus outsourcing equals gotcha. crowdsourcing. And you know, so yeah, Sweet. I think that's pretty cool. The, that's a nice yeah. project. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought so. Um, I'm curious to like see whether this museum kind of kind of sticks around as like a like a significant museum or I don't, I don't know I'm I'm sort of perplexed that it was like that I encountered it you know this high on the list without ever having heard of it before right and also I mean the question of you know how, how perhaps apolitical it might be mm, you know, yeah is it a is it a propaganda museum or is it a like legitimate artistic museum yeah 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 i wonder not that i'm just making that assumption but it is in moscow and the regime has a tendency to do yeah Uh uh-huh question five um the second most visited art museum in the world the state russian museum in saint petersburg so this one was another surprise to me um especially because like the hermitage comes up so much in trivia and right. is at number six. Uh, this one's at number two um, with 2.2 million visitors in 2021. Uh, this museum is known for its collection of Russian fine art. Uh, it was established by the last emperor of Russia. What was his name? The Last, right. Oh gosh. Is my Russian history bad? No, I, it probably is, but I'm this, I don't know. It probably I'm, is. Yes. No, 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 no. It's probably, <laughs> no, it's probably right. I just, this seems this i mean i've talked about this on the podcast so i don't know if it's just that easy it is that it is just that easy nicholas the second yep that's the one okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like i mean there i mean there there was like technically the czar in exile after the revolution yeah no no no, no, it's it's not that deep i had a very hard time finding anything of interest about this museum Okay. okay okay great (laughs) um yeah, I, I didn't cool. find too, too much about this museum, but I think, you know, the Hermitage, I think, houses kind of, like, antiquities and, like, you know, all kinds of European masters and the the state 
Russian museum is really focused intensely on Russian fine art. Um, so I found I found a fair amount of information about um, the Russian fine art that you can find there. None of which was, I think, especially accessible to a to a general audience. So gotcha. I thought thought we'd go a little easy on okay. that one. Um, yeah. All right. You are at sixty points. Gotta bet it all. It doesn't matter what the category is. Oh, good. Um, we'll. I don't know what the category is. Doesn't matter. Gonna bet it all. <laughs> okay. Ancient stuff. You're cool. betting it all. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, uh, the number one most visited art museum in the world is the Louvre. And I think I've asked questions about the Louvre before, and they've almost always been about the pyramids or the Mona Lisa. Mm. Um, you know, the pyramids like the like the IMP, the like glass pyramid. pyramids yeah. at the entrance. Yeah. So let's branch out a little bit to also very famous stuff that's in the Louvre. The Louvre also houses the longest, best organized, and best preserved legal text from the ancient Near East. Named for what king of Babylon? Well, if it's a legal text, then it would have to... I'm not going to make a joke. Hammurabi. Yeah, that's correct. Yay! Yay! Yes! Yay! Yay! Nice work. You did it. Good quiz. Yeah, thank you. When you get all the quiz questions right, I know that I didn't write any of them in such an obscure and convoluted way that nobody could figure out what they were about, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is, it does feel good yeah when you have that feeling of like oh are these like will these make any sense at all and then people mm-hmm. get them right and you're like yeah okay yeah um nice work well thank you for making a podcast with me kyle mm-hmm. and thank you listeners for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts leave a rating or a review if you would be so kind if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who watch jeopardy let them know about our podcast you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one our email address is potent potables cast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. Mm-hmm. we'll be back next week with another week of jeopardy and a deep dive and a quiz so until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker Oh, 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 oh,